both are extraordinarily happy because that was a big church. Thank you. Uh, if you give a little bit more, we will send it on to them. But just sort of your normal um, almsgiving stuff. What I didn't, I told the vicar, uh, my sermon was seven pages this morning. I wrote 37 pages to get there. And then, you know, I said, you know, one of the important things is to be able to edit yourself. So, but there was a whole thing about in the early church, they took that Jesus uses the same word for when he says, um, spend your dirty money. That's the word for, uh, in, he uses that previously, four chapters earlier. It's the word for giving alms. So people who heard this, the problem with that story is you walk into the middle of it. People who heard that would have heard Jesus saying, uh, make sure that you give a lot of alms, you know, beyond your tithe. That's what they, and in the early church there was a phrase, Ambrose reports it and uses it in the sermon. There's a phrase where he says, um, alms save you from death, uh, which is really an interesting thing because that just, on our ears, that sounds so much like you're buying your way into heaven, but there's all these presuppositions like you've been brought to faith and you've managed your life and you're really generous. So he could say in the early church, he could preach, alms save you from death. In fact, the next line in the sermon goes something like, uh, and, with your, and with your spending you save yourself from your evil deeds. It's so interesting. They don't actually mean, uh, Augustine has this too, and Augustine was death on that you could buy your way into heaven. I mean, he just completely rejected that. But these guys regularly quoted that because they understood that the people they were talking to were church people. And church people would not presume to think that they were saved because of what they were doing. So you can talk to people that way if they have the context. The problem is in, in you know, eight minutes of a sermon, it's very hard to put the whole context together. So you, you, know, you sort of can only do one thing. But it is very interesting that that was, you know, Jesus speaks about alms in that thing. There's a whole other sermon for another year. It'll be back in three years, so we'll see it again. But, you know, uh, it's, it's very interesting that that's, they could speak that directly because we're, we get so nervous about that. So um, let's see. I'll send it this way. Questions about anything? Everybody okay? You need to know anything? That is you'll, the directories. The new directories are in. Your family photo is here. Here's, I'm just showing you in advance. There it is. How do you like that, huh? That's you. See, can you read what the balloon says? Yeah, get well soon. That's right. I always take this to Wheaton College when I give my lecture on deciding for Christ. Because I always say, you know, this is you. And any minute now, I'm just expecting that raccoon's going to decide to get up and untie the balloon and have a party. That's what I'm thinking, you know. Look, if people could decide for Christ, they would. If they could get well soon, they'd get well soon. This is why you don't go to the hospital and say to people, get better. If they could get better, there would. Or you come into a depressed person and you say, stop being so depressed. If they could stop being depressed, I mean, I'm, talking, I'm not talking about whining. I'm talking about they're really depressed. If they could get undepressed, they would, nobody wants to be depressed. They would do it. If you could get well, you'd get well. If you could make yourself right with God, you'd make yourself right with God. Guess what? You can't do it. So your family photo, you can take that home. And uh, No, really, the directories are on the way. But I just sort of give you that, you know, just to eliminate any notion that anybody might say, we, we, we decide for ourselves or we make ourselves better. You, you know, the Pope is, uh, you know, I'm liking the Pope, but he is out there now, you know, uh, as you saw. So, um, but the, what people don't realize is he's just quoting the medieval doctrines of a prevenient grace, which is you do the good that you're, that's in you and you'll get saved. It's quite a convenient and in some ways comforting and helpful doctrine, but it does sort of undercut the other stuff. So we're going to watch this train and see where it goes. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's, just, it's just very interesting what's happening right now. The, very, the gentleness of it is a very nice thing. 
the problem is at some point uh, you do have to say to people, well, it works this way and not that way, and that's going to be, that'll be interesting, you know, because he's a young man, he's got a lot of years left, so we'll see what happens. Everybody good? All right, here we go. So the Holy Spirit gives you gifts. I mean, Jesus was always in the Spirit, and you, when you're baptized, you are in the Spirit. He gives you gifts. The question then, what happens is, is people's mechanics get a little bit mixed up. The next place I want to go, so this is, you know, where I'm going to try to spend a month or two when we get back together, where I want to talk about is the individual gifts. Lutherans don't talk much about these things, um, unfortunately, uh, because they're so nervous that somebody will violate your family photo that they just don't talk about it. And as I've told you many, many times before, the first rule of a dysfunctional family is never say what's on your mind. You know, if you want to be dysfunctional, keep a lot of secrets, okay? So we pro- What? A lot to tell already, isn't there? That's right. Whose kid is that, by the way? It's yours, okay, just check it. I mean, you know, you all trade them around. I mean, there was, man, it's, it's, it's good, uh, but it's just, you know, you never, you never quite know who's with whom. There was one dad downstairs with 13 kids in the hallway. I'm like, you are a saint. I mean, he's just sitting there. Nobody was bleeding, so uh, you know what? That's pretty much the, the tell. Uh, if nobody's bleeding, it's okay. So here's the thing. All right, so just have a look at, your, uh, have a look at your, your outline there. When the Holy Spirit looks at us, what's he got to work with? I mean, when he looks at you, what's he got to work with? Well, the answer is not much, to be honest with you. I mean, you're incredibly nice people, but... You know, when the Holy Spirit takes a look at you, all by yourself, you don't have much to work with. In fact, you know, this is the old doctrine of original sin, which is Adam ruined you and you're still ruined. So, you know, what are you going to do? There it is, 1 Corinthians 2.14, natural man does not receive the gifts of the Spirit. Now, I spent the first two weeks just telling you over and over again, you get the gifts, you get the gifts. You get the Spirit, you get the gifts, you get the Spirit, you get the gifts. Sometime, remind me, I need to come back to the thing where he says um, the, the Holy Spirit... Um, gives different gifts to different people. We have to come back to that. And then sometimes without measure, we have to talk about those things. But that's down the road a bit. All right, so here's the thing. You can't, nat- you can't, you can't basically you can't get well soon. You can't, you can't make yourself better. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. You learned that when you were in, in confirmation, I hope, explanation to the third article of the creed. So, you know, of yourselves, you're not much to look at get well soon. But, you know, uh, and, and natural here means, you know, fallen, unbaptized, necros, which is, that's necros on that page. The Greek word in Ephesians 2, 1, where it says you're dead in trespasses and sins, and you can turn to that if you want, where it says you're dead in trespasses and sins. This is a technical term used in Ephesians 1, I'm sorry, in Ephesians 2, and also in Romans 6. It's actually the word for after rigor mortis is set in. So there's several words for death, like, you know, you're, you're kind of recently killed or, you know, you got killed a month ago. This is the word for roadkill, necros. This is like, that's road, you're like, you know, you're stiff and you're puffy and there's juice running out of you and if you poke you. Have you guys, I asked you this before, have you ever like, you ever had your cows eat too much alfalfa and you got to stick that thing in between their ribs and let the gas out? You got to grow up in a different state. This is too urban. <laughs> I mean, you've never seen that done. You, you take that. There's a word for that. Does anybody know what that is when your cows blow it up and you? No, no. What, but when you stick the thing in, it looks like it looks like what you what you used to put in an oil in an oil can when you used to change your oil. It looks like that. It's like kind of sharp on one. And you never done this? 
No, no, they just, they get it, sometimes they get through the fence and do you fence cattle in, you fence cattle out. Oh, it can be a mess. You know what we need to do? We should have a rodeo. Every kid out here could rope and brand his own, his own calf. That would be great. You know, you give him a little shot of combiata. This is great. We should do this. I mean, we kids need education. Okay, anyway, you are, according to Ephesians 2, you're necros, you're roadkill. I mean, actually, rigor mortis is set in, and if you could get well soon, I would like to meet the person who actually tied the balloon on that raccoon. Because that is like, you know... There's somebody, I have a kindred spirit somewhere, and I would like to meet them, okay? <laughs> Ephesians 2, here you go. Calher, ever since you've been on that call list, you've been uncontrollable. <laughs> That's right. And you were necros in your trespasses and sins. This is Ephesians 2 one. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked. So this is zombie talk, okay? So you're dead, you're the walking dead. Ephesians 1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. This is zombie stuff. The Bible is so hipster. So um, following, and now look at, here's the distinction. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, following Satan. He's, he's a prince, remember? He, was, you know, he, had a, he had a high level management position in heaven. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work, and look, in the sons of chaos in the sons of disobedience. So the last couple of years we've talked about this. Disobedience and chaos go together. Chaos is the mark of evil. Disobedience is its fruit. If you're disobedient, you know, you've engaged something dark, something evil. Frankly, sometimes it's yourself, okay? Among whom we all once lived. So everybody starts this way. We all start this way. We're all, you know, lying there with rigor mortis. In the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. So we're looking for some holy desires. We're not looking for some fleshly desires. We're looking for something holy. Okay, we're trying, and how do we, des how do we desire what's holy? Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So hopefully at some point you're going to get a new body and a new mind. That's what we'll be hoping for. Uh, like the rest of mankind, everybody's that way. And then it goes on, but God being rich in mercy. But we're not there yet. You ought to suffer a little bit longer in this before we get to it, okay? So, put simply, this is the middle of the first page, no Holy Spirit, no holy gifts, no holiness. You're dead, you're like the walking dead, you know. Without the grace and help and activity of the Holy Spirit, you're not capable of making yourself acceptable to God, of deciding for God, of fearing God, of believing in God. I mean, the thing is, is your friends who dodge this, um, it happens as much in really literalistic, fundamentalistic Christians as it does in those who aren't. People don't really like this text much. Even really conservative, Bible-beating kind of Christians who are literalists do not like this text. They will not go all the way to the picture. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. People can be completely, you can have a completely honorable, you know, <coughs> pagan next-door neighbor. Okay, we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But he's not honorable because the Holy Spirit is in him. He's honorable because... If you steal his TV, you know, he might steal yours. He's honorable because there's a hint of conscience left. But that's not always so helpful. So how can we change? This is the last thing on the first page. This is accomplished by the Holy Spirit who's given through the Word of God. That's easy stuff. It's taught among us that man possesses some measure of freedom of the will. This is the bottom of the first page. Sorry, I'm going here and I forgot to read it. 
It's also taught among us that we possess some measure of freedom of the will, which enable us to live an outwardly honorable life and to make choices about the things that reason comprehends. So you can make it through your day. Without grace, help, and activity of the Holy Spirit, we are not capable of making ourselves acceptable to God. That's going to be the answer to the Pope's... I, I probably should say this in case you didn't all see it. There have been two very famous letters that the Pope has written lately. One, I think, where the first one was a journalist who said, um, I don't believe, and the Pope said something like, and so if I quote him out of context, then you can go look it up. He said something like, um, do good, and at some point our paths will intersect. So that was a flare-up about three weeks ago. Then there's a famous editorial, a famous editor for a famous newspaper in Rome who said very bluntly to the Pope, I'm an atheist, will I be saved? And the Pope actually wrote him a very long letter back, I think it was 2,500 words or something, wrote him a very long letter back. It was really interesting um, that he would write that much, especially to a guy where he basically said, trust your conscience. Do, he said, if anyone who lives according to their conscience, and then it always gets a little fuzzy what exactly that would mean, but do it, live according to your conscience, and you know things will kind of work out for you. The problem with that is your conscience is horrible. You know, your conscience is just horrible. We can justify anything. You know, you may have a dim memory of, of right and wrong, but really, people's conscience, man, do I trust myself to your conscience? I do not, you know. You know, there's nothing worse being judged by a jury of your peers. Hmm. I don't, actually, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to run you a thing about why a pastor can never be on a jury. I'd never thought about this before, but it's coming in a couple of weeks. Um, Although my experience was exactly the same. I think I told you I was called for jury duty a couple of months ago, and I, so I wore a clerical because I came from the Eucharist, and there was nobody. I was, you know what it's like to be the last guy on the playground? <laughs> Even the judge, when it was finally my turn, when there's nobody else left, said, can you, like, make a decision about the rule of law? I couldn't really feel what she's going to be fair, but, can you, but she, her real question was, could you ever condemn anybody? Isn't that interesting? And I said, uh, yes, but I should have said no now because I'm smarter. And then she dismissed me. But it's coming. You wait and see, okay? Um, all right, so without grace, uh, you know, that we're just done for. Okay, flip the page. Which means, this is what it means, um, this is what it means. I can make choices horizontally, anything I want about Earth. So I wrote down, you know, what I would like to do today is go home, have my eggs poached, go surf at Half Moon Bay, drive a BMW, and then later in the day I think I'll rob a liquor store. Because I can make those kinds of changes, those kinds of choices. So I can choose good things and evil things. I can, I can choose. Horizontally, or I, can, I can maneuver through life very well. Um, you know, for whatever reason, I can make it through. Other people can make it through. You know, this is how societies work and don't work. Um, you know, I, I can make these kind of choices. I can make any kind of choice with regard to other people, okay? So I have a, free, a will to do that. But I can't choose anything toward God because I can't see it. I don't value it. I don't have the strength to pull it down to myself. I just don't have it. Now, of course, you know, from the sermon this morning and from the text, Jesus, of course, expects you, once you're baptized, to make good choices. If you text this to your kids, you will. Parenting by texting. It's Friday. Make good choices. I love you. Right? Hey, you laugh now, but you will. Uh, get ready. Uh, I parent. Like a parent is well trained. 
I, I pair it more, here's the, you got 140 characters, man. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta speak so they can hear. I mean, I've talked to a lot of parents. There's a, about the time your kids get to high school, there's more texting by parenting than you might imagine. Uh, parenting by texting. I said that wrong way around. And late at night. Oh, they're awake, yeah. I mean, they're, you know. And of course, you can infer about your children by the length of time it takes them to reply. <laughs> Yes, my friend. I, I can understand absolutely you can't choose up. You can choose down, though, can't you? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, so well said, well said. I just was like, if it ain't up, it's down. So even this is down, okay? okay. Remember, this is zombie level. This is you and me level, Bruce, okay? This is like, hey, if you want to drive while I ride the liquor store. I mean, I, <laughs> I'll cut you in for 30% because the driver doesn't take as much risk, okay? So, you know, yeah, you could choose, but anything, if you're not up, you're down. Right? Okay. Yes, please. It is some sense of right and wrong. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. So we do have some memory, and we Lutherans say this too. We have conscience. We do have conscience. So you know the example that I used for you, which is about my favorite example um, ever, was, you remember, now it's been probably 12 years ago, there was a little dust up in New Guinea, and we had friends who were missionaries in New Guinea, and when, they, when, they have a, when, they, when the tribes go at each other in New Guinea, he said, usually what happens is, you know, they sort of stomp around, and they scream and yell, and then some guy will walk out the door of his hut, and another guy will cut his head off, and then that'll be the end. You know, that it's kind of over once you get a little bit of retribution. But he's, there was, it was really interesting. There was a real dust-up in New Guinea about 10 years ago where people, tribes were actually going to war and just, like, hacking each other the bits. And then, as the coup de grace, the winners were eating the losers, which is not unknown. You know, in Africa, one of the great, still Africa, I mean, if you watch those, what are they called, the Lord's, uh, you know, the Lord's Army. I mean, one of the ways they terrorize people still and you still hear threats. You, sometimes if you read terrorist threats, part of the threat is we'll kill you and we'll eat you. And it's this old animistic notion that by eating you, I absorb the spirits in you. So if you're a, great, if you're a very courageous person and I kill you and eat you, I basically absorb your courage and I get more. It's like playing a video game. I get more powerful, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's, and it's cheap. Yes, it is. Uh, so anyway, there was this editorial in the Wall Street Journal that said, really? Appealed to conscience. The winners shouldn't eat the losers. It's the 20th century. And then somebody wrote back, of course, as they always do in the editorial column and said, hey, who are you to impose your tired old Western values on the people of New Guinea? Right? <laughs> Which you have heard, by the way, in the marriage debate, in the debate about homosexuals, about the debate about, you've heard this over and over again about who are you to impose your notion of on us. So appeal to conscience, winners shouldn't eat the losers, and there's some people who feel that. But there's also people who say, hey, I don't feel that at all, right? So your conscience is there, but not everybody can see it all the time. Pause, you still with me? This is also where the whole notion of natural theology comes from. If you think about natural theology, which the Catholics have used very much in the marriage debate, um, <coughs> their presupposition is that written on our heart, so it works like this, very simple story. We're in Eden, and we have a pure heart, and God has revealed himself to us. When we are lost, when we sin, the darkness is literal. We actually, it, it's so dark we can't see. 
we may, it's like when you get up in the middle of the night, you know, and you, you know, and you like walk into the wall. You know, you knew that wall was there, but you couldn't quite see it. Or you kind of maneuver around, but then the dog is laying there and you trip because, you know, <laughs> right? So you can see some things, but you can't see other things. So you're, you're cloudy. You can't see. And if you can see, you don't value. So conscience has a limited, a limited ability. And it's not apparent, although, especially in the West, natural law is built on the notion that we can argue out of what's left of the Ten Commandments written on our heart. And that's why in the Old Testament you have these places where it says, I'll, put, I'll give them a new heart. I will, there'll be a day when people don't have to read my word. It'll all be restored back in their heart. Well, that, that's what Eden was like. That's what it was for Adam and Eve. They, they knew God face to face. They walked with him in the cool of the day. And now, if you know that, now you see why when the, when the small catechism says, he calls us, where are you? Come to me. He gathers us. He goes and finds them. He calls, gathers, enlightens. He flicks the light switch on, boom. Oh, that's what it looks like. Now I remember, I'm not supposed to kill people, let alone eat them, right? Calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies. He makes us holy. And that's what we want to talk about. Because here's the thing. What happens with Lutherans, because we haven't really... We get afraid of things and then we don't engage them. But if we actually talk about the notion that what the Holy Spirit gives you is courage, what the Holy Spirit gives you is a proper respect and reverence for God. And that the seven deadly sins are the counterparts of these. So the first, let's just take the first one. If the first one is fear of God, which you know from the catechism, we should fear, love, and trust in God. Fear would be proper reverence for God, not I'm afraid of God, but it's probably, it's what we're trying to do every Sunday in church. In church, we want, we want, a, we want a God who is, what a friend we have, a Jesus God, but we also want a God who is immortal, invisible God, only wise God. And every Sunday what we're trying to do is get in that balance, okay? So, so you're, he's God and you're not, but yet he's your friend and he took flesh. So how do you show proper respect for your best friend? If I asked you, so let, we'll probably talk about that. Maybe we'll talk about that. As the, I don't know if I'll talk about that as the first or the last gift of the Spirit, proper reverence for God. I don't know if you can name the seven deadly sins, but if you can name them, or even if you can't, what would you think would be the evil counterpart of proper fear? God's in place and I'm in place and this is how the world works. What would be the opposite of that, worst opposite? Pride. pride, absolutely. And that's why Augustine would say, and I think it's probably true, pride is the first sin. So the first created thing is this fear of God. He's God and you're not. And then um, the first deadly sin is the inversion of that is, is is pride. Every, every sin is a corruption, a, a corruption of a good. Every, every sin is a corruption of a good. You know, Jesus has these good things for you. So what, what, we're gonna, what I'm going to try to do is, what I want to say to you is, inside you, by virtue of being baptized, because you were forgiven today, because you heard Scripture, because you went to the Eucharist, the Holy Spirit has given you gifts. What I want you to do, I mean, the whole course, the, the whole aim of the year is for you to know that these are inside you and to access them, you know? Uh, you know, it's, it's that, that's, the, that's the whole point. These things are there for you. Click and use. Here we go. So that's what I'm trying to hope for. Yes, Mr. Callahan. Right. And uh, I look at the conscience as being a spark. Yeah. And it doesn't take much to put it out. 
Yeah, right. Gone. Yeah, right. Not there anymore. But I look at the Holy Spirit as being the person who supplied the charged box to help the spark go and the kindling and to blow on it, and pretty soon you got this roaring fire. Good. And so, and the, the, to keep the analogy as crisp as you can, you have to press it where you pressed it, which is it goes out if it's not tended. So really, I mean, part of the point of this is for you to see that the Holy Spirit is tending your soul. I mean, your Holy Spirit, is, you do, he's, he's like, right? That's what's happening to, when you come to church. And he's like, and then what will happen is more will happen. You'll be able to see, you'll be able to feel, you'll be able to use, you'll be able to move according to the gift that's been given. Here's the deal. You're gonna, you'll understand yourself better, which is in some ways you'll say, wow, I have way more to give. And some days when, when you really screw up, you're going to say, ah, you know, I can't believe that was still in me. It's going to be both of those things. And, of course, the remedy for that is the constant application of grace, of forgiveness, of strength, of community, of life together, of love, you know. So that's where we want to go. I want to explain, if we can, all the things that God has promised and put inside. So, like, do you, have, do you pay for Netflix? Do you have Netflix? Do you watch Netflix? I pay $7.99 every month. I never watch it. Why is that? Because uh, I don't know how to turn the Wii on. That's why. So it's, it's right there. All I have to do is click. More Emmys than CBS coming up tonight, you know? But no, because why? Because I can't, because I'm old and my VCR is flashing. Okay? So there you go. My kids, believe me, can access it. I, in fact, they can access so many things that frightens me. All right, so... Another way to say this second line down, second little box there is, I'm free in earthly things, pretty free, pretty free in earthly things and hellish things, but I'm not free in heavenly things. And sometimes I do some horrible things and you know, maybe I feel a little bad about it, but before I come to, before I come to, before I come to, to Jesus, I don't, I don't, I don't know the, I don't know the, the damage I've done. I, I told the guys who were serving at the altar, I mean, over the weekend there was this, I don't know if it'll be a bigger deal, and I haven't seen the newspaper yet this morning, but there were just some documents declassified, and there was just a book written, which is coming out, and I'm sure that's the reason the story that's coming out. But I don't know if you know this. I never knew this. In 1961, a B-52 broke in half and dropped two nuclear bombs on North Carolina. Yeah, I know. Isn't that interesting? Uh, 262 times greater than, than Hiroshima. And one of them was just a dud, kind of sunk in the mud, but the other one went through the sequence. The parachute deployed. It spun down, and there are four switches in these very crude bombs, and the first three went off tick-tock, tick, and the last one, which they likened to a cheap light switch, didn't go. But otherwise, there wouldn't be any Carolinas, you know? Now, isn't that interesting? So things happen all the time. You don't know, you know? You, you don't even know. I mean, you're living in life, and you don't even see what's going on. There's all kinds of things happen all the time. What will happen is, with the Holy Spirit, your eyes are opened. Ooh, that's a problem if we're dropping bombs on North Carolina. And... You know, we learn how to fix things. So that's what I'm hoping for your life. I'm hoping that for your life and mine, this is just about getting better. And here's the thing. If I don't get there, and I'm not going to today, but here's the thing. At the end of this, the key is that you cooperate in your sanctification with the Holy Spirit. You don't cooperate in your justification. But once, like, so you pull over by the side of the road, and like you do, you... Ah, ah, ah. Staying alive, staying alive. <laughs> <laughs> then he comes back to life, right? 
right? You've gone, haven't you? That's what you're supposed to sing while you're doing it, right? Because that's the right beat. Yeah, yeah. You have to be of a certain age in order to say that. But, um, <laughs> and so he comes back to life. So imagine he comes back to life, and then you say, what do I do? This, this what we're doing, is the what do I do? You know, that's what we're going to do, okay? But first, you have to give up any notion that you're doing it yourself. And I just want to run through this to fulfill all righteousness, okay? So you can't do it yourself, but the Holy Spirit does. Point two, what happens when the Holy Spirit moves in? The answer is he does everything. This is Holy Spirit, you know, complete makeover edition. That's what this is, right? This is the Holy Spirit. Just, just read this very kind of slowly. The Holy Scriptures ascribe conversion, so that's the resurrection. I was dead, now I'm alive. I couldn't see, but now I can see. I was lost, now I'm found. The Holy Spirit described conversion, okay? So that's coming to life, waking up, boop. Faith in Christ, amen. Thank you very much. Faith in Christ, agreeing with God. Regeneration, so somehow, you know, you get, you know, you get remade or recreated. You know, old, 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 old people get new, right? Right? Worn out people get kind of refurbished. Renewal. And that, you know, they don't know how to talk, so they just say, and all that belongs to their efficacious beginning, and this is important, and completion. So the Holy Spirit starts it and finishes. You should know this from the Latin antiphon. Praise be to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Author, start, and perfecter, and who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning a shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. That's your whole life. Praise be to God. You know, praise be to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, which is the joy of having you in heaven with saints and angels, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. So he was shamed and he scorned being shamed, and now is seated at the right hand of God. That's your entire life. So it's important to see that Jesus starts it, Jesus finishes it. The Holy Spirit starts it, the Holy Spirit finishes it. However, that doesn't mean you can go home and eat donuts today. I mean, you can eat donuts. But there are other things you need to do. Right? And the typical Lutheran, and I just, you know, some lady said to me once at Arcadia, why are you so hard on the Lutherans? I said, because you're all Lutherans. You know, if I was talking to somebody else, I'd be hard on them, but you're the Lutherans, so we might as well talk about it, you know? The problem with the Lutheran church, not necessarily our church, we're actually kind of past this, and this is kind of the advanced course of how to do good, but the problems with the Lutherans say, Jesus does it all start to finish, Holy Spirit does it all start to finish, so I don't have to do anything. No, no, no. That's not true. That's not in the scriptures, and that's not in the Lutheran confessions. That's not what it is to be Lutheran. I'm giving you about 19 things you can take home and read. It's too many to do in one time. But what he says is, he enlivens you for a purpose. It's the gospel for today. Spend, spend, spend. He gives you gifts for a reason, so you get busy and advance the kingdom. Is it your work? No, it's not your work. It's his work through you. And you can frustrate it. And it's a horrible sin to frustrate it. When the Holy Spirit says to you, let's go to work, and you say, I think I'd rather just lie on the couch today, that's a horrible, horrible sin. You frustrated the Spirit. You frustrated Christ. Now, they're long-suffering, but you shouldn't think, as Romans 2 or 3 somewhere says, do you presume on the righteousness of Christ? Do you presume that Christ is patient forever? He's not patient forever, right? He's patient, but not forever. So, um, here we go. He does everything, beginning and end, not to the human powers of the natural free will. And look at this, neither entirely nor half, right? So we don't do part, we don't do all. 
nor in any, even the least or most inconsiderable part, but in solidum, that is, entirely, solely, to the divine working of the Holy Spirit, as the apology, this is the formula of Concord, but the apology of the Augsburg Confession, the Augsburg Confession. So the point is, it's the Holy Spirit's work start to finish, but because he does it through you, it's your work too. So it's very, very simple, actually. You're dead. The Holy Spirit makes you alive. The Holy Spirit wants to work through you. And you are free now to say no or yes. Please, please, please do not say no. The more you say yes, the more Jesus gets out of you, the stronger you become. Oh, you'll suffer. I mean, you'll suffer. Tentatio is one of the, suffering is one of the ways you get better, you know, as I've said to you before. Well, it's Twain, you know. There's some things you learn when you pick a cat up by the tail that you can't learn anywhere, any other way, right? <laughs> I mean, it's true. I mean, go home and try it. There's some, some things you can't, you, you know, there's no other. So pain is one, I mean, I don't wish you pain, but there's some things you learn by pain, um, you know, that you don't learn any other way, okay? Now look at number three. You need to do a little bit of anthropology. That is, you need to, if I asked you, you'd say, you know, you have two feet, two hands, two eyes. And everybody kind of assumes that. But actually, we don't spend as much time talking about kind of our internal composition. And so it's interesting that the confessions do this. In the simplest way, and, and part of the problem is the scriptures speak this way, but then they again were speaking to people who kind of absorb this. We don't absorb this anymore. You know, the simplest way is to speak of you um, as intellect and will. So your intellect sees, so your, your mind, you know, distinct from your brain, your mind sees. So you see, you see somebody killing and eating somebody else. You see that, and your will chooses. Um, I think I'll help them. I think I won't help them. I think I'll stop them. I think I'll run the other way. So you see, you see the world. You see the world. Your intellect, your mind sees, your will chooses. Okay? So here's coffee. I'll have coffee. Here's a liquor store. I think I'll rob it. Here's eggs. I think I'll poach them. Karen. What happened in Nairobi in the other day in the simplest form is that people saw other people who were unlike them and they chose to kill them. It's the simplest thing. So you have, a, you have intellect and you have will. You can keep going. Sometimes the, body, sometimes the scripture said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul or heart and soul and mind or heart and soul and mind and will. So even the scriptures, you know, give you this anthropology where they talk more about it. So however you talk about it, but just, it, it, it does it under point three, it does it in three parts. You've got a new heart, that's the one I didn't talk about. With our new heart, we believe as Jesus believes. For example, in absolution, all that happens in absolution is you agree with God. He looks at you and says, you're a big sinner, and you say, I'm a big sinner. And he says, I really love you, and you say, you really love me. You just agree with him. I forgive you, you forgive me. Don't do it again. I won't do it again, right? So the kind of the three pieces we'll work with is you see, right? Um, you choose. The, the intellect sees. The will chooses. And the heart believes. 
So here's the thing. Take a demon, for example. A demon is a person. They see you. Um, they choose to torture you. And they, but they do that because they don't believe that Christ is you know, the prince above all princes, for example. Uh, their hearts are cold. So you can see and you can choose. You can, you, can, you, can, you, know, you can see donuts and you can choose to have a dozen of the chocolate ones. You can see, you can choose. But beyond that, the element that makes you a Christian is that you believe when Jesus talks to you. So in one sense, you know, you know that you've all seen it in the movies where you have the little angel on one shoulder and the other shoulder. It's actually very helpful theologically. That's actually how your, your, that's actually how your life works. You see something, you know. You have to make a choice, and those little angels on your shoulders talk. Well, so, I mean, if you think about it as really as one being the Holy Spirit and one being the satanic spirit, it actually works out pretty easily. And who are you going to believe? That's what, the, that's what this comes down to. And it's very practical. Say in your prayers today, who are you going to believe? You want to believe Jesus who said, pray and I'll answer, or you want to say, I'm too busy for that? It's being generous to other people. Jesus says, given, it'll be given to you, good measure shaken together, poured over, running into your lap, or you say, I, I, there won't be enough. Or Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, or turn the other cheek, and you go, you know, turn the other cheek, you know, just doesn't work that well, right? Pray for your enemies, do good for those who hate you. I'm just not sure. You know, so Jesus is on one shoulder talking about mercy and love. The Holy Spirit's saying, choose this, take this, do this. And the devil, the world, and your flesh are on the other shoulder saying, I don't think so. I have another alternative. You remember this from Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus gets tempted. You know, the Holy Spirit is saying, all right, when we're done here with this very painful bout of fasting, we're going to go down and you're going to get crucified. And Satan's temptation is basically saying, you've already had a tough 40 days and 40 nights. Why would you go do that? You know, why compound the misery? Okay? It's exactly what happens to you. So if you sort of keep these things straight, point three, the Holy Spirit gives us another heart, another mind, another disposition. It's, you know, it depends how the Latin gets translated. That is, we receive from him a new heart, a new mind, a new spirit. So here's the good news. When you get baptized, you get a new heart, you can believe. What, oh, you, can believe you can believe Jesus. You get a new heart, a new mind, you can see things from Jesus' point of view and um, uh, a new spirit that is a new will. You can choose. You say this about people. He has an honorable spirit or he has a generous spirit. He has a new spirit. You can choose things you wouldn't have chosen in the past. For example, you can choose to be generous. You can choose to put other people in, f in, f in front of yourself. Okay? And this is just right out of Scripture. Um, hmm... I'm just going to read to you the bit from Luke 24. It's the road to Emmaus. And what I'd like you to do as you start to hear the lessons, just start to think about how often Scripture talks this way. So you know the, the road to Emmaus, Cleopas, maybe it's Jesus' uncle, maybe it's the other guy is his cousin, they don't recognize him because Jesus has been changed so much. They're walking and then, you know, they're all, Jesus says, what's the problem? And they go, you know, are you a doofus? You know, you don't read the papers. You haven't heard what's happened. And then Jesus talks to them. And then um, 24, 45. Jesus, 44, Jesus said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. 
that everything written about me in the Law and the Prophets and the Psalms might be fulfilled. Now listen to this. Then he opened their minds to understand. It's the intellect. They see something that they have never seen before. They They see Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament and the Prophets and the Psalms. That's the reason we read the Scriptures that way too. Right? He opened their minds, boop, to understand the Scriptures. They see things differently. And he said to them, Thus it is written, Christ should suffer, and on the third day die, and then rise from the dead, and repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. You've seen them. You're eyewitnesses of these things. You've seen them now. right? And behold, I'm sending, look at this, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, that's the Holy Spirit, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. That's Pentecost. Okay? So what happens to them happens to you, or what happens to you happens to them. Um, I never go as far as I thought I would go, but um, <laughs> it's okay because, you know, what, whatever. I mean, we'll get there. Um, all right, I want to go because I've been going late, and then I've been creating a kind of a bottleneck for everybody. I don't want to do that for people who are going late. Um... Completely different topic. I just want to say thank you to um, Steve Chester and Marty and Pat Jennings. And I don't actually know all the guys who are there setting up. Dave Rickard always has his finger in this. I mean, the steak fry, I got to tell you, it's like, it's like dying and going to heaven when you go to the steak fry. Now, I mean, I just, you got mark your calendar for next year, men and women, you can do one. There is some talk of a women's steak fry, at, in, which is fine. We would send some men to host you, and they would wear like white jackets and little bow ties. Uh, you could have one if you want. We could make it work. But um, it was really, I had to just say, it's a spectacular. The great thing about it is, if you hear this in the right way, it doesn't feel like a church event at all. It feels like you're getting together with 80 or 100 of your best friends and just having dinner at the end of the week when there's, you know, but everybody's pressed. What's really interesting, the, the most interesting thing I have to say about the steak fry is nobody complains. It is so interesting. You look around at all these guys. They're all exhausted. They all work hard. They travel. They work long hours. They have a lot of responsibility. And they show up, and everybody has a smile on their face. Nobody's complaining. Everybody's speaking well of everybody else. There's a lot of laughter. You know, people kind of come and go. It's exactly what the church is meant to be. So I just want to say thank you for that opportunity. And we try to have something like that about once a month. So, you know, I suppose I'll tell you, you know, Oktoberfest is coming. Um, You know, mark your calendars, whatever day that is. What's that? We could send you to Germany to do some research for us, Karen. Um, you know, so, but I mean, those are the sorts of things. It's just, I just want to say thank you to the people who went and the people who made it possible. And, the, you know, as a pastor, I didn't do anything. I mean, I didn't, I didn't do anything. It's just I show up and it's there. It's really quite spectacular. The spirit of the place was just quite spectacular. So, anyway, thanks to all of you for that. All right, we got to pray and go. Thanks. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Hey, fair warning, next week um, Chuck Brown is going to teach in this hour because River Forest Choir is coming. If you have friends 
If you've been looking to bring to church next week, it'll be brilliant music. And Leiniger, the, um, Dr. Leiniger, who's the young uh, pastor of the campus, will preach. And they wanted my Bible study to talk about a piece of music that they're going to sing. So I'm just giving you fair warning. Chuck Brown will be in my place next week, okay? But if you, if you want to bring people to church, next week will be a great, should be a fantastic day for it. Thanks. Bye.